I bumped into Charlie Ravioli today, Olivia announced at the dinner table. We did coffee, but then he had to run. Before you assume that Olivia does coffee often, you should know that Olivia was the just-turned-three-year-old daughter of Adam Gopnik, who writes for New York Magazine. Charlie Ravioli, it turns out, is Olivia's imaginary friend who lives in an apartment at the corner of Madison and Lexington, who dines on grilled chicken, fruit, and bottled water, and who, having reached the unimaginable age of seven and a half, is considered old. But, Gopnik says, the most unusual thing about Olivia's imaginary playmate is that he's always, always too busy to play with her. She holds her toy cell phone to her ear, and her parents hear her talk into it. Ravioli? It's Olivia. Can you come and play? Okay, call me. Bye. Then she snaps it shut, shakes her head, and says, I always get his voicemail. On a good day, Olivia bumps into her invisible friend, and they talk. I bumped into Charlie Ravioli today, she announces. He was working. Then she adds brightly, but we hopped into a taxi. What happened then, her parents want to know. We grabbed lunch. All of this, of course, on a day when Olivia has stayed home, played, had a nap, ate a snack, paid a visit to the Central Park Zoo, and then another nap. It's not hard to figure out where it comes from. Olivia parrots exactly what she hears from her mom and dad. How was your day? Oh, you know. I tried to make plans with Meg, but I couldn't get a hold of her, so I left a message. Then I bumped into Evan after that meeting I had in Soho, and we had coffee. And then he had to run, but by then, Meg called me back and we did lunch. Olivia's parents began to worry, though, that Charlie Ravioli might be a symptom of some trauma or loneliness in their daughter's life. It seems odd, they thought to have an imaginary friend who's always too busy to play with you. Shouldn't your imaginary playmate be someone you tell secrets to and, I don't know, sing songs with, Olivia's mother asks? It shouldn't be someone who's always hopping into taxis. Even worse, one day her father overheard Olivia speaking on the toy cell phone to a new person named Lori. It turned out that Lori was the imaginary assistant to Charlie Ravioli. She was answering his telephone and told Olivia that, unfortunately, Mr. Ravioli was in a meeting and would be unable to play with her that day at all. That's when the father got on the phone to his sister in California, a psychologist who specializes in childhood development. It turns out the sister had just completed a research study about imaginary companions and insisted that Charlie Ravioli was nothing to be worried about. To the contrary, she said, Olivia was right on target. According to the data, it turns out that two-thirds of all children have an imaginary friend created not out of trauma, but out of a sense of possibility. They're creating a whole new story in a whole new world, and then involving themselves in it. It's a sign of confidence, she said. A sign of self-assurance and inner strength. The sister's advice? Don't worry, everything's fine. Gopnik felt better, but he still wasn't completely satisfied. 
So he pressed his sister a little more. I can grasp the idea that it's normal for her to have an imaginary friend, he said. But have you ever heard of an imaginary friend who's too busy to play with you? The sister thought for a minute. No, she said. I'm sure that doesn't appear anywhere in my research, but it sounds completely New York. And then she hung up. (laughs) Knoxville may not be Manhattan, but constant, exhausting, no time to meet your friends, Charlie Ravioli-style busyness may be the hallmark of our lives as well. We're hooked in, logged on, trading, snapping, insta-ing, texting, checking email, and answering calls around the clock. Our lives are such a blur of activity that there's no time to breathe, let alone meditate and pray and rest. God can quickly become a distant memory. And so it's the weary, stressed out people like us to whom the psalmist has words of wisdom and hope. As the deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. Where Psalm 42 picks up, Psalm 42 picks up where the gospel reading Meredith preached from last week about Jesus being tempted leaves off. Out in the wilderness, the desert, arid, desolate, barren. There are lots of ways to get there, but they all have to do with being lost. Losing our way, losing our focus, losing our direction, losing our compass. Psalm 42 finds us in the wilderness again, and as I've come to realize through several events in my own life, the wilderness that comes to us is never, ever of our choosing. The termination, the rejection letter, the lab report. Wilderness is forced on us by circumstances beyond our control, but the end effect of the barren land is the same. God is seemingly nowhere to be found. As the deer longs for flowing streams, the image we're meant to get is the crying of a deer over water sources that have run dry. The body cannot live without water, just as the soul cannot live without God. Psalm 42 and 43, scholars believe, were initially one psalm that was mistakenly separated into two in the course of history as they were passed from generation to generation. There's all kinds of good academic and textual evidence to support this idea. But what's most compelling, our biggest clue, is the repeated chorus of these two chapters. Where are you, God? Why have you forgotten me? A howl of despair is what Peter Hoskins calls it, bewailing the darkness. Whether we call it a howl of despair or even the dark night of the soul or just simply the wilderness, it's not a place that we like to be and not a place we'll choose to stay if we have any say in the matter. So what do we do when the well runs dry? We get busy. We fill up the emptiness. We go and go and go and do more and more, faster and faster, just so we won't have to come face to face 
with what's there, or perhaps with what we fear isn't there. I wonder if our busyness and our seemingly unlimited capacities to stay in touch with one another are just poor attempts to mask the fact that we've lost touch with God. Case in point, Olivia's mother reports receiving a telephone call one morning from a friend asking her to check her email regarding a phone message that she needed to listen to so that she could make a phone call about a virtual document that they both received asking for more information about a purchase that they were considering that would require two companies to spend the day exchanging phone calls, emails, and scans of draft documents. We all do it. We're busy forever consulting our iPhones and Facebook and inboxes, but rarely do we make time to connect, to really connect with God, whom Paul Tillich called the very ground of our being. The temptation is to lapse into what Parker Palmer refers to as functional atheism, the the temptation to believe that there's no power in the world besides our own. Just as the deer, we are all thirsty. We're parched. Diana and I have an inside joke that we throw around every once in a while that came immediately to mind when I was reading for this morning's sermon. When Daniel was about three or four, he had been running around outside on one of our hot, humid East Tennessee summer days. During one of his breaks to regroup and re-energize before heading out for another round of play, he came bursting into the house, red-faced and sweaty, pushing past Diana and me and announcing, I'm hot and I'm thirsty, I need cold ice water. The way he announced that what he needed, emphasizing his out-of-order phrasing, struck us as funny. We chuckled and still announced our need for cold ice water when things seem to be dire and when we're running on empty. We're all thirsty. We're all in need of cold ice water because the truth is that we're also lonely and we're scared and we're desperately in need of a power greater than our own. In the words of the psalmist, we are thirsty for God. As a deer longs for For flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. The woman at the well makes the same request. Sir, give me this water so I may never be thirsty again. If you went outside over the last few weeks in the seemingly relentless rains, or if you drove over or through standing water on several roads still around town, several roads with standing water still around town, you might be saying that there's no proof of a drought, except, except for the fact that people are thirsty. The truth is that we're all thirsty for God, but in the land of plenty, the source, that thirst, that's the source of that thirst can be difficult for us to identify. But I've come to realize over the years An addiction is anything we use. Food, alcohol, sex, anger, blame, anything to try and fill the empty place inside of us that belongs to God alone. Ultimately, 
It's often not until we've tried to ease this pain with everything else that we discover by the process of elimination that it's God whom we really want. As I like to remind you, Blaise Pascal, the 17th century French mathematician and philosopher, described the God-sized, the God-shaped vacuum inside each of us, a place in our lives that only God can fill. St. Augustine said it this way, you may, you've made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. So if in this Lenten wilderness you find yourself inclined to ask, in the words of the psalmist, where is your God? Do not fear. Do not run. Do not try to fill up the silence with anything and everything else. Do not succumb to the temptation to become a 24-7 Charlie Ravioli. We have places to go and things to do and people to respond to but we cannot be filled with new life and we cannot have life and hope to share it with anyone else if we lose touch with God. 700 years ago, Meister Eckhart said it like this. God is not found in the soul by adding anything, but by subtracting. In this Lenten wilderness, may we learn that divine subtraction. Amen. Let us turn to God in prayer. And so, God, we continue on this journey of Lent. We are faced with the chaos and desolation of the wilderness. We remember how your son, Jesus, entered into this darkness alone. Yet you never allow us to travel alone when we ourselves wander into the depths of darkness. You are with us, even when we cannot discern it. Hear us as we pray at this time, prayers that groan in our souls and through our bodies, bodies that are thirsty and long for your living water, prayers that seek patience and perseverance as we travel into that wilderness. Do not allow empty words or shallow fixes that only preserve brokenness, but prayers that remind us that you stand in the wilderness with us. You weep with us at loss and suffering and all that brings it. And so we pray for this world, for your people, and for ourselves. We pray for the willingness to share one another's darkness, that we might find our humanity intertwined with each other. In places of conflict where violence and darkness are always present, we pray that the light and power of your presence might bring new life. We pray for those who can only long for the dream of peace and justice. We pray for those whose lives have been upended and feel lost in pits of despair. We pray for our neighbors in Syria and Turkey as they recover from the earthquakes. We remember our own community whose lives were changed by powerful rains and we ask for healing, for homes, for bodies, and for our own hope. We pray for our neighborhoods, our communities, our homes, 
and relationships, especially those defined by suffering, by war, injustice, poverty, and death. We pray for our own bodies, for our minds, and for our spirits. We especially lift up prayers for those in our own church family. We pray for Ian Phillips as he prepares for surgery and for his wife as they continue to struggle to figure out what might be done for him. And we ask for your healing presence. We pray for Mary Stuart Neely as she recovers from heart surgery and a pacemaker and a stroke and ask that you might give her strength. We pray for Earl and Peggy Hagler. We pray for even our youngest members, for Asher Curtis. We pray for ourselves, for the brokenness we might feel, whether it's in our body or in our mind or heart. God, may we hold the uneasiness of this season boldly. Allow us to examine ourselves and seek repentance and healing. May we anticipate the light of Easter that is coming. But first, help us sit in the darkness. Allow us to confront the darkness within ourselves, the temptations, the sin, the ways in which we seek harm and death over life and abundance. Oh God, remind us that our identity rests in you and not in the wilderness and darkness of this world. And now, O God, hear that prayer that your Son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us continue to worship God through our tithes and offerings. <laughs> 